Welcome to Stocks Not Sports, the podcast where we try to talk about investment ideas in the same casual way we talk about sports with our acquaintances, work colleagues, friends, and family members. This podcast is brought to you by Infor Financial Group, who is committed to providing innovative, forward-thinking financial advice to all of their clients and customers. I'm Kenrick Sylvester, Principal and Head of Distribution. I have to note the following disclaimer. This podcast is not to be taken as investment advice, and participants or employees of Infor Financial Group may own securities discussed in this podcast. While we love all of our guests, this podcast may contain forward-looking statements, investment opinions, and comments that we do not agree with at all. From Miami f***ing beach and you want to show me the ocean, huh? The sun, does it ever shine in this town or is the smog around all the time? They say the smog's the reason we have such beautiful sunsets. We are very excited. With us today is Sam Molyneux, co-CEO and co-founder of Poppy Health. With COVID-19 and the increased risk of airborne pathogens, businesses and employers have invested in air purifiers and other devices to make the workplace safer for employees. However, there's no real data to show that these measures actually work and do create a safer workplace. Poppy Health's real-time air monitoring system releases water-based barcoded particles that can safely scan and trace the paths of airborne pathogens. The Poppy system detects and quantifies indoor biosafety risks by measuring airborne pathogen hotspots, clearance rates, and transmission pathways that pose the greatest risk. In addition to his clinical research, Sam was previously the CEO of Meta prior to its sale to the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. Sam, it is our pleasure, and welcome to the show. Great to be here with you. Thanks for having me. So instead of taking a few minutes to tell us about your background, we like to do a little speed dating questionnaire where we try to learn more about you in a few seconds. Are you ready? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, What is your post-secondary education? So I did a a degree in biochemistry in undergrad, and then I went into a grad program in medical biophysics at the University of Toronto. At that time, I studied cancer genomics and the biology of cancer. That was my PhD. The punchline here is I I love doing science. Um, I love the work that we were doing. I think we did important work on a particular adolescent um, cancer. And I never got the chance to graduate from my program. So published papers, oh. wrote them up. My PI even told them, told me basically I could staple them together and, and defend. And I've been so busy since Meta that I just haven't had a chance to do that. So one day, got to get back to it. <laughs> one day. It's, it's always to... on my list. Absolutely. Absolutely. Favorite medium, books or podcasts? I don't get a ton of time to, to read books anymore. Um, so I, uh, I listen to stuff on Audible. I'll put Audible books on in the background uh, once in a while. Okay. Beer or wine? You know, I'm not that picky. I'm more prone to beer, honestly. Uh, a good lager and IPA. Sweet tooth or salty snacks? Salty for sure. Miss Picky's salt and vinegar chips all the way. All right. Uh, TV, linear or streaming? I've been streaming more. Okay. What are you uh, streaming right now? I just got through a bunch of Severance, which is a very interesting show about a company that develops a technology that enables you to forget the work that you're doing for most of the day and then come home at the end of the day, sort of not knowing what you've done all day and how that technology plays out in people's lives and and the, the corporation behind it and their intentions for it. Really interesting concept. What is your favorite thing to do around the house when you are not working? Definitely spend time with my kids. Three-year-old, seven-year-old, nine-year-old. They're a handful, but they're, they're amazing. So spend a lot of time with them and, uh, and try to catch up on sleep. Are you going to need sleep with three, uh, three young kids? Um, oh, yeah. Favorite music? 
R&B, hip hop, reggae, rock, pop, jazz, country, or classical? For me, classical. Uh, if you're stranded on a deserted island, would you rather be with an entertainer, an educator, or an entrepreneur? I would try to take the entrepreneur's role because uh, I think there'd be so many interesting problems to solve. That's what I'm inclined towards. So an educator, uh, somebody who can, who can teach and, uh, and create the foundation with the next generation, I think. If it was your last day on earth, what would be your final meal and where exactly would you be enjoying it? I would go for a really good deep fried chicken sandwich with lots of hot sauce and uh, eat it in front of an ocean somewhere. Union chicken. That's, uh, I think, my favorite chicken sandwich spot. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, agreed. Okay, industry question. In your opinion, what has been the most important advancement in air quality and HVAC in recent years? I'll tell you more about what we do at Poppy later, obviously, but we came into into the industry not having any of the sort of like existing ideas and, and technologies in our mind, but, but started to work on problems from scratch. I think the use of CO2 has been really helpful to judge transmission risk and the safety of spaces. And I think that that's a major trend that is important. The issue there is that there's a bunch of limitations with it that we've taken up the mantle of, and we think that we have, we have good solutions to. Um, but I think that's, that's an important trend. Okay, excellent. So I'd like to talk about uh, a bit about you, if you don't mind. Listen, prior to your current role as co-CEO of Poppy Health, you have a laundry list of accomplishments, including co-founding Meta, selling the firm to the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, uh, working as general manager of CZI, being recognized as one of Canada's top 40 under 40, one of Fast Company's most creative people in business. You also won the Martin Walmsley uh, Fellowship Award and the Banding and Best Doctoral Fellowship. Your research has been published in Nature Genetics, Science Translational Medicine, Cancer Cell, and other leading journals. Um, I can keep going. You are a frequent speaker on technology for good. And for three years running, you are uh, on AI for good uh, on the United Nations. And as you mentioned before, you have a Bachelor of Science in Biochemistry and a PhD in Medical Biophysics. That's a lot of stuff, man. So can you walk us through what first attracted you to the healthcare sector and why that's been such a key piece of your career since you graduated? Yeah. So just two things real quick. I was GM of the Meta Group at CZI. And and as I said, still haven't graduated from the PhD. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm really motivated by by problem solving. And I think one of the things I asked early in my life is what would be the right things for me to for me to spend my time on? I feel like we're all here for a relatively short period of time on earth. And I, I think it's important to be really passionate about the work that you do. Uh, you know, a lot of us are, are are very fortunate in our ability to to choose the things that we work on and the things we might get get paid to do. And so I thought a lot about that as a teenager. And you know, I basically came to the conclusion people will always get sick. Nobody likes getting sick and seeing their loved ones ill and everything that can come from that. And so set my sights on healthcare as basically a big set of great problems that I could get passionate about. And that's been really sort of a guiding light for me ever since. Now, in the process of that, I ended up doing cancer and genetics research. um, And that was with the idea that it would be a better use of my time than being a doctor and treating patients directly, but actually work on new new ways of understanding disease and medicine. So high high leverage activity for my time. Later, I realized that science is a slower thing than it has to be. And if we had better information systems, we would be able to move quickly as, as a scientific body. As, uh, the worldwide researchers would be able to be more productive. And so worked on that problem for you know, better leverage from for my time and impact that I could have. And so you can see I've been going through this path of being drawn towards how do we make people healthier? 
but working on more fundamental problems than that sometimes in areas of technology that aren't immediately related, like information systems. Interesting. I'd love to pick up on two of the, the later points in your comment there. So I realize that your work at Meta usually grabs all the attention, but as you said, you've done work in cancer research at UHN with a novel mutagenesis screening method. So in, in plain English for the rest of us, can you describe uh, your work there and what skills you developed in that role? Yeah, abs- absolutely. Well, cancer is, uh, they call it the emperor of all maladies. So it's, it's, uh, it's one of the main things that, it, that affects people later in life. And one of the underlying problems with cancer is is asking the question, what are the, the changes to genes that, that cause it? And the goal is, if we know which genes cause cancer or have some driving role in cancer, maybe we can find ways to drug the pathways that they alter and create specific therapies for the pro- basically the underlying problems behind, behind cancer. And so in my work at Princess Margaret Hospital in UHN, we were working on osteosarcoma, which is the disease that, that Terry Fox died from and, and led him to, to run across the country. Obviously, Terry Fox is a great Canadian hero, raised a lot of money for, for cancer research, and, and that, those funds pervade a lot of the work that we do in cancer, I think, to this day. We worked on that problem. At that time, we had the first MES model of that disease, so we had a way to study it that hadn't been available before, and the work that I did helped identify a way to discover the genes that were causing those cancers in mice and then relate them to humans. And so we were, we were relatively successful at that and published some, some key papers in the field. And it was also, from a technical perspective, just really, really interesting work for me because I like working at the intersection often of computational methods and whatever the problem is, whether it's a biology problem or you know now with Papia, an indoor health problem, an infectious disease and ventilation problem. Another question I wanted to ask you is, I mean, ultimately, uh, you decided to co-found Meta, uh, the company's software used artificial intelligence techniques to help scientists sift through the world's ever-growing mountain of research papers in order to stay abreast of the latest scientific findings. So two questions there. Could you describe what you mean by a Spotify-like experience for scientific knowledge? And second, uh, what was it like working with your sister? Great questions. You know, what we envisioned when we co-founded Meta was that it would be possible to stay on the leading edge of science by streaming the work of other scientists as it's published. And that was one of the sort of driving visions of the company. Now, in reality, the model that we that we built where we worked with scientific publishers was one in which we would access their copyrighted, fully owned content, which which is the work of scientists, which they, they publish in their journals. We would access that, analyze it, extract information. We would use that information either to help pharma companies in some cases as an analytics service or to help just organize the papers themselves. And that arrangement with content holders, that, that was kind of like a Spotify-like relationship with, with media holders. That was sort of more of the analogy, but we did build a user-facing tool that helped you stay on the edge of scientific research, and that was part of our model. Working with Amy, uh, my sister, Amy Molyneux, who is a force of nature and abundantly talented um, both technology leader and entrepreneur and engineer was a, a great experience. And Amy and I had ar- had always talked for for years growing up about things that we might work on together, and we sort of thought about problems together and what we might want to solve. And when this came, one came along, it was a beautiful marriage of sort of market knowledge and and product ideas with the technical ability to to deliver those, and then sort of like really shared goals for 
both of each other's well-being as brother and sister and in, in making the, the enterprise successful. So it worked, it worked really, really well. Amazing. Congratulations. Um, my sister is a brilliant lawyer, but insert lawyer joke here. I don't know if we'd be able to work as well together, to be completely honest. <laughs> well, you, you, you never know until you try. <laughs> that's true. Actually, that's true. Um, I'm sure you've already addressed this topic ad infinitum, but what prompted you to sell Meta to the Zuckerberg Chan initiative? It was a really unique opportunity. And at that time, there'd never been a company that had been acquired by a philanthropy to make their tools and technologies available for free for other people to use. And from, uh, you know, chance interaction to, to the acquisition was, was a, a fairly rapid process. But I think the shared mission of helping accelerate science, which is a major um, thrust at uh, that organization, and our mission at, at Meta, which is to accelerate science using these particular information tools, we all aligned very closely on that. And so it, it became a natural, uh, a natural goal to, to have the company acquired and then, um, and then make its tools and technologies available. Okay, quick shift to today. So when it comes to air quality, clearly there was a market need. But what made you think that nanoparticles, I mean, it's something sounds like it's right out of a movie, could be the ideal solution for the air quality problem? It's one of these things that we certainly didn't start off with that in mind. And what we've been doing at Poppy, and I think we've done really well at the company, is stay really focused on the problem, but then keep asking what is the best way to solve that problem. And and many companies are started off with a technology in mind and you go around with that hammer and you kind of look for nails to hit. And we actually worked in the, in the other direction. So when we initially founded the company, the technology that we were focused on, on applying is called metagenomics, which lets you sequence from mixtures of cells and, and samples, in, in our case, from the environment to be able to identify the organisms that are present. And we thought that was a good starting place, a good hammer to start with. And that remains part of part of our, our solution. But over time, as we learned more and more about the role of ventilation, being able to understand how human breath moves through buildings, how it's cleared, being able to quantify that and analyze it and monitor it very precisely in real time, the use of aerosolized nanoparticles that contain stuff that's around us all the time, things like water and salt and DNA, which is all over us and and around us in rooms, we realized that we would be able to put that together into a a relatively inexpensive, real-time Internet of Things solution for buildings that when you step back now, you realize I don't think anyone's ever conceived of a product like that for buildings in the past. We, We can't find any reference to it. And so it was a great opportunity for us to to pursue that as a way to to solve the problem that we that we have, which is creating safe indoor spaces that are resistant to infections, even when sick people are present. That's where we got to by staying focused on the problem, but then being really flexible on the solution and how we're going to get there. Um, before we do a deeper dive into Poppy, I would love to get your thoughts on air quality and the state of the employee workplace. Um, According to some of your literature, across the globe, airborne pathogens cause over 17 billion incidents of respiratory disease annually, or just under half of the case of sickness in humans. Uh, With global commercial and public indoor space exceeding 1 trillion square feet, airborne infection control is as impactful as clean water. I mean, that's some pretty powerful stuff. How can we drill that down to give listeners more color on how indoor air quality impacts their day-to-day lives? 
Yeah, I think we've all been through this really profound, you know, generation defining experience of the of the pandemic. And so the hangover now, if you, you know, depending on whether you think the pandemic continues or we're into we're into a new phase now, which which we think we are, but depending on how you think about that, it's hard to find an individual who won't say that when they enter a new building, a new room, a new uh, place where a group of people are, that they're not thinking in, in some way in the back of their mind about the fact that they may come out with some sort of respiratory infection when they leave. And that might crop up a couple of days later. So when you go to the store, when you go shopping, when you head to the coffee shop, most people are asking these questions or they're thinking about it a little bit. Maybe maybe they're trying to ignore it more now. And that kind of color, that kind of emotional experience, that relationship that all of us now have with indoor air, we all know now, or most people know now, that indoor air is something that is not necessarily safe. And if you compare that to water, you know, I could ask you, how much would I have to pay you to go and have a drink of water from the tap in any given building in Toronto? And you would probably say, oh, probably not much. I mean, how would you answer that? Yeah, probably. Yeah. And so now if you compare that to to air, the reason why you feel that is because you have complete confidence or almost complete confidence that that water is safe for you to drink. We don't have that relationship with air. Air is not necessarily safe indoors, and we don't know when it is, and is or isn't. That is the stage for this problem. That's how everyone experiences it. That's the color of it now. So traditionally, what have employers, landlords, or other non-residential owners of real estate done to address air quality issues? I think before the pandemic, most of the air quality questions were were really related more to comfort. And so how do I feel in this room? Is it comfortable? Is it cold? Is it stuffy? If you have asthma or, or one of these other conditions that are related, you, you would have direct complaints because you're more sensitized to air quality. But this is not as much my, my background, general air quality, but it doesn't seem like this was a huge priority. That said, we've seen a, a big push from air quality sensors to get them into the workplace. And I think those, those sensor companies have had a little bit of a difficult time in really advocating for their value because, in part, on the market side, there, there hasn't been a, a really concrete understanding of what the value will be when they put the air quality monitor in. And so I think even on general air quality, probably the pandemic has broken that open as well. And people are thinking more about general indoor air quality and general health in indoor environments. It's interesting. There's a couple of, of things I wanted to mention for the listeners out there who just aren't aware of what's going on with, with air quality. Uh, some of our younger listeners may not remember this, but one of the nicknames for Toronto uh, used to be the Big Smoke back in the day because of the, the hazy skies and poor outdoor air quality we used to get during the summer months. But more recently, during 2020 and 2021, the smoke from the wildfires burning in Washington, Oregon, and California created a haze over the city and affected air quality here in Toronto. So according to the data, the Toronto Air Quality Index averaged nearly six times the daily recommended limit of dangerous uh, PM2.5 pollutants on its worst day in 2021. And in addition, Toronto's daily air quality levels exceeded the World Health Organization's annual limit on 22% of the days during those two years. So, you know, first, what's the PM2.5 measure and how dangerous is this for people with breathing conditions like asthma, et cetera, or just people in general? I'm probably not the right person to answer those questions. What we focus a lot on at Poppy Health and, and, and what we do is the relationship between respiratory particles, so particles breathe, people breathe out, 
and the transmission of disease and then how that's controlled by ventilation and other measures in indoor environments. But in general, PM 2.5 refers to the, the size of the pollutant in micrometers. So fine particulate matter, PM 2.5 is, is a class of that. And we, and we were inhaling that last over the last couple of years without even really knowing. And our friends and, and, and family members that have breathing issues, and, and they said the air quality was terrible. But I think most people didn't even realize that was happening. That's right. You're always breathing particles of uh, across the entire uh, set of size ranges. The issue becomes what are those particles and what's the concentration on a per liter perspective. But there's an entire field that, that studies this and, and deals with this. So the Great Smog of London and the Nora Death Fog, as they call it, built political momentum in the U.S. and the U.K. for taking air pollution seriously. Uh, the U.S. and the U.K. each passed nationwide air pollution laws in the 50s, including the 1956 British Clean Air Act and the first national legislation addressing air pollution in 1955 in the United States, which eventually led to the creation of the Environmental Protection Agency. So here's a question for you. Interestingly enough, according to the Canadian Centre for Occupational Health and Safety, many Canadian jurisdictions do not have specific legislation that deals with indoor air quality in uh, non-industrial workplaces. So from, from where you sit, what legislation has actually been put in place to measure or address indoor air quality in Canada? It's a great question. So we, we haven't started to interact with regulators on, on these, these issues, but we do know that there's been a lot of activity in trying to address indoor air quality as a result of these themes coming out of, out of the pandemic. And so you can see, for example, in, in the U.S., the White House has held summits on indoor air quality. And I know in a variety of countries, um, experts are, are working to, to push the regulation of um, both the levels of certain pollutants to a better degree, and especially on overall ventilation for reducing infection risk. But that's probably as, as much as I know at this point. Well, that's helpful. But let's, okay, so let's just drill down a little bit more on Poppy. So as I understand it, Poppy Health's real-time air monitoring system releases water-based barcoded particles that can safely scan and trace the path of airborne pathogens. Uh, the Poppy system has the ability to test over 1,000 airborne pathogens, including COVID, uh, other viruses, bacteria, mold, pests, and dust. And each device can monitor or measure 27,000 liters of air and can cover approximately 5,000 square feet. If you were pitching a new potential customer, how would you summarize Poppy Health's air monitoring system capabilities? Yeah, for sure. So at, at Poppy, we we say we're we're the indoor health data company or the indoor health company. Right now, we protect over now a million square feet of, of indoor space. And our vision at Poppy is building the infection uh, resistant future of our, our indoor world. We set out to answer the enduring challenge the pandemic created for facilities, which is how to create indoor safety confidence while managing ventilation costs. And our system is powered by aerosol science and biotechnology. We offer sensors and software that provide fast, accurate uh, air safety monitoring for every workplace. And we provide that as three subscription packages, basically to fit the needs of any space and budget. From rapid air tests that we're now rolling out at city scale in programs like Breathe Easy, which we've, we've kicked off here in Toronto with Breathe Easy Toronto, all the way to simple installed systems like Poppy Essential for continuous monitoring. And that uses our our tracer particle technology, or even professional tools for precision safety and ventilation control automation. We then also, as you highlighted, we have an add-on package for pathogen detection um, that's available for critical environments um, and at times of, of outbreak. So employers use Poppy to protect their staff from infections like influenza A and, A and B or, or COVID-19, 
avoid crippling team downtime and drive confidence by making the safety of their workplace visible. And then on the property owners and managers side, they use Poppy to confidently uh, keep staff and visitors to their building healthy while also saving money on ventilation. For me, I mean, the Poppy system to me looks different than anything else on the market, but are there any other direct competitors other than, you know, putting in traditional air filters where you think air quality is starting to get poor? You know, we've ended up in this really unique position where I think coming from the biotechnology thrust into the built world as a class of technology, there really hasn't been anything before. Um, so there, there's very few people who offer related solutions. And I think the main thing that we have to work on now is just edu- educating the market and getting our technologies out there as quickly as possible. Okay. I was looking at uh, uh, your list of customers and, and it covers a wide range of industries, including transportation, mining, healthcare, fitness facilities, construction, commercial real estate, manufacturing, multi-tenant residential, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the system has been deployed and, and correct me if I'm wrong on the numbers, at 50 customer sites, and there are also case studies currently underway at two Canadian airports and pilots at several elementary and secondary schools in, the, in Canada and the United States. Can you talk about your pipeline and how many customer deployments do you expect over the next 12 to 24 months? Yeah, so we're, we're growing quickly now. Um, with the launch of our, of our real-time system, we've been able to bring down our pricing so that it's affordable to anybody in the market. So you can put a poppy system in just a couple zones, even in a small space for a few hundred dollars uh, monthly. So we're growing very quickly as, as a function of that. We've also now launched a free program for public spaces where we can help and have an impact in helping educate the public the safety of indoor spaces. And we, we do that on a free basis. It also helps us really introduce our, our technologies and show, shows people the, the power of them quickly. And so we hope over time that that will lead to uh, larger commercial deployments um, for for companies that that actually have public spaces as well. Interesting. So I, I wanted to touch, or maybe we can double click on sort of the value proposition when speaking to new customers. Is it position versus, okay, you're going to have to do something in terms of a major overhaul with your HVAC system? Is it position versus buying air filters or humidifiers? How, do, how should I think about that? What we've found is that when you have data about how safe a space is and how effective ventilation is, there's a variety of changes that you can make that go from simple, quick, extremely cheap to to more complicated, you know, uh, HVAC updates. And we can see reflected in our data many changes that you can make quickly. So examples of these are you can put in a relatively cheap air purifier. And you can see the effect of that in our data. We're, we're about to publish a, a case study with a top tourist attraction in downtown Toronto, where a couple of their, their rooms weren't at the, the level that they wanted to get, get them to. They put in air purifiers, and you can immediately see a gain that is very meaningful for transmission control. You can immediately see a gain in, in, the, in their data. We also have case studies, for example, in, in schools where entire renovations have been done on the HVAC system and updates, and we can see a huge lift across every room in in those buildings, every classroom. That change, you can quantify the difference, and that that difference is gonna help create a more infection resilient environment. So I think one of the things that we often encounter is when we we work with a new facility, that's you know, the question you asked is one of their top questions. Are you about to tell me I have a big capital project that that's going to be needed to kick off as as a result of what we're going to learn in your data the answer is no 
you're going to be able to make changes very quickly. And even in, in the case of the, the school, they had already planned an HVAC update. So that wasn't resulting from our data, but then they could see the impact of it quickly in what we show. Now I'm speaking extemporaneously here, but is there potential to work with any HVAC companies as a partner down the road? Yeah, definitely. So we have a, we have a fantastic relationship with Ainsworth uh, here in Canada. They're the nation's largest HVAC service um, and indoor air company, um, and they they operate coast to coast. And at Poppy, we we measure the effectiveness of ventilation. We do that from a cost and, and a safety perspective, but we're not the boots on the ground to implement the changes. And so Ainsworth are some of the best at this, and they have boots on the ground nationwide. Um, and we've really embraced the relationship, and we've had a fantastic collaboration. Interesting. So when you're actually selling to new customers, who's the key purchasing decision maker and who do you target? We usually collaborate with facilities leads. And so typically this comes under ops, depends on the size of the organization. In in a big bank, they might have they might have an enterprise uh, real estate lead and uh, and and that person may be involved and then and then we'll work with their team, which will often often include environmental engineers and um, and very experienced facilities managers. And then in some cases, if we're working on the tenant side, we may even uh, do some work with HR as well. I want to ask you this question. I know when we last spoke, you talk about uh, or you talked about an example uh, on a trading desk here in, in Canada and one in New York where your system actually uh, was very effective in terms of identifying transmission rates and, and everything for uh, a sick individual and keeping the team safe. On a no-names basis, do you want to give us uh, walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So one of the things that we do is we offer a professional package. The professional package for Poppy or Poppy Professional, what it gives you is very detailed spatial data about how aerosols move in, in environments and for organizations that are a little bit more sophisticated and do have experienced um, indoor engineering team or environmental engineering teams and facilities uh, leads, they can use a digital twin uh, representation of their of their space. So on trading floors, we have seen a couple different things. So one of the things that we've seen is really, really high rates of ventilation. So overventilated spaces where we'll measure the the key metric that you want to know, which is the air change rate, or in our case, the effective air change rate, we'll measure that number and we'll see very, very high numbers. So numbers like 12 and above, which creates great safety, but there's there's an opportunity to bring them down because you're you're overventilating that space um, and you're you're providing more ventilation than is probably needed for the number of people who are there on the floor. And then in that same space, we will actually often see some hotspots. So we'll see transmission paths that you can't see with that with your eyes, but you can see in our data, you can see them in our, our digital twins. We'll discover those. And some of those hotspots are a result of ventilation imbalances. So the HVAC company or the, the automation company that they work with will need to tune their system to remove them. And working with, with investment banks, that's exactly what we've seen. So we've seen the ability for the, the technology providers to make tweaks to the system, remove those hotspots, and create very evenly safe trading floors, um, which has been really compelling. And then because Poppy can also do direct detection of pathogens, and we can detect SARS-CoV-2 in the air in zones throughout facilities, we've been able to look at the relationship between 
what is the ventilation and where are we seeing virus pop up? And often these two things have um, very close relationships where in highly ventilated spaces, you just don't see virus cropping up very often, but then in hotspots, that's where, you, that's where you see it. So when you have that full picture, you have both the tool to understand it and the proof that your changes are, are working, which has really not been possible before we, we came to the market. Very, very interesting. Um, I wanted to chat a little bit more about your data business and the mix sort of of hardware versus subscription services to access the data. One, let, let's talk a little bit about it. If you give us a little bit more color, that'd be great. And, and how big do you think your data business could be? The data business is one that we're, we're still learning about. So as background, Poppy offers a system that is a combination of these things. So we provide hardware, software, and data to our clients. And, and the clients for us, the main, the main market for us is buildings. And we wrap all of that as a subscription service or a, a SaaS-like model where you don't purchase the hardware, you don't purchase sort of individual pieces of the system, you just subscribe to the configuration for your building. And that can, configuration can flex and change over time depending on the organization and the needs. What we found over the last two years is some very large consumer packaged goods companies who make cleaning products, uh, some of the, the biggest brands in the market uh, came to us and said, hey, you have this capability to understand the presence of organisms and how they change over time in, in buildings. Would you like to do a different kind of project with us where we'll subscribe to your data and the configuration of your system to monitor offices, for example, or even, even homes in, in one case? But what we want to learn is how organisms change and whether our cleaning products and our services are effective. And so that that is a new offering for us. And it's one that has sort of come towards us. We, we didn't seek it as much, but we've got a great collaboration with, with those teams. And I think over the next couple of years, we're going to look more and more to whether this could be true for pharma companies as well, and how many other CPG cleaning product makers would be interested in the service. So, you know, as entrepreneurs and, and founders, we're always looking to understand need in the market for the unique capabilities we have. And, and that's one where we're learning more about. So the hardware itself, I'm assuming that is outsourced. Uh, what, do you, what are your thoughts? I mean, there's always been a bit of big trend um, to reshoring of manufacturing, given the supply chain issues associated with COVID. Um, but how, how do you think about that and manufacturing, outsourcing, and all of those items? So the hardware that, that we build, we've designed a lot of it. And then we've been able to just like you know, when you when you build software, you can work with off-the-shelf components for many of the aspects of what you, what you want to do. And we've worked with the great companies who can put those together for us. So that has enabled a company with our, our kind of funding to market very, very quickly with a complex service that incorporates, you know, a lot of different things. Biotechnology, it incorporates hardware, it incorporates software, it incorporates data. That's been a great accelerator for us. Over time, we'll look to whether we want to bring more and more of that under our roof so that we can have better cost of goods um, and we can make our service potentially even cheaper over time as we as we have more scale. And that can also help solve any logistics issues or availability issues in, in particular components, although we really haven't been affected very much by that because by design, we are not using components that are in, in short supply. Uh, a couple of financial questions for you. Um, I've seen that Poppy's revenue is currently over uh, one million in annual recurring revenue, and you expect ARR to exceed two million with 120 customer locations served. 
Uh, I also understand that you earn just over 60% margins on your real-time uh, IoT air monitoring system. So what are your ballpark, what are your long-term financial targets and your expected margin profile? Good question. So our margins just went up. Uh, we're, we're improving them every day. And actually, we've just broken 70% margins uh, oh, wow. now for the business, okay, which has been great for us. You know, what we're really focused on is how we effectively market, so raise awareness, and then convert through our, our sales funnel so that we can give people the best service possible. Optimizing all of those things is how we get to a larger and larger business over time. We've been really fortunate that the market is so accepting and and demands this solution as a function of everything that we've experienced. So I think th- those are really the things that that are in front of us right now. How we decrease, keep decreasing our cost of goods so that we can make this potentially even cheaper for people over time, expanding our market, and then just how we optimize all of that awareness to, to conversion process while doing customer delivery as well as we possibly can, being the best in the market at that. So not including the recent, uh, um, I guess, approaches by the CPG companies, if you take a look at your B2B opportunity with property owners, property managers, and enterprise customers, how, how big is your target addressable market? You know, the market for this is is really large. And so part of what we've been startled by is the fact that the need that we're addressing is true for virtually every commercial space that is indoors. And if you look at the size of that market, it's very, very hard to even get a good estimate of how, how large that market is in terms of number of buildings. So it looks like there might be over a trillion square feet of indoor space globally. In North America, the number is is very, very large as well. And so given that it is effectively an unlimited size of market from a, a practical perspective for a company like ours, what we're looking most at is what kind of density can we get in particular regions so that there are now um, many customers who have a shared solution in a region. And there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons from a growth perspective why having density is is a really good thing. You have you have economies of scale and efficiencies, especially with a solution that has some sort of physical component like ours does, a, a hardware component. So that's what we're we're most focused on now. The second thing is within that, you know, we think we can serve people really well right now in North America. So we've been we've been focused on on North America, but we are already getting pulled into Europe. We have um, we have customers in. Uh, in London, England, and uh, and and some in in parts of uh, France and Monaco, so we get pulled into different places. Um, but we've been trying to really refine our model with a geographical focus before we grow uh, overseas. Interesting, and I know clearly you've got a lot of wood to chop in terms of uh, all of those markets you've already discussed. But to me, I had to ask this question: Would you consider B two C or residential customers? Because that seems like uh, the solution would make a lot of sense in, in homes. We, we get a lot of requests from consumers to use our, our product, and we are right now in homes for, for some of our, our data solutions for, for the CPG companies um, for the work that they're doing. But one of the, the, I think the big lessons for entrepreneurs is you can't go B2B and B2C well at the same time. And so for sure, we're, we're really motivated to help uh, create safer homes as well. We know that those are places where most of the transmission happened. Um, the transmission rate for COVID-19, for example, amongst family members is more than 50% if you have one, one sick individual in the house. So obviously there's a need in homes. We also know that the air change rate of homes is typically less than one. You need to get above five to have 
numbers like an 83% reduction in transmission. So there's, there's a huge opportunity to help there. But at the same time, from a practical perspective, companies like ours need to be laser focused on, on what you can do with the resources that you have and to prove out your model and then get to growth, which is where we are now. So we've been focused on B2B for the foreseeable future. I wanted to ask a question about career adversity, if I could, given all of your success in the past. What was your get him off the field moment? Uh, you know the moment, you made a big mistake, and everyone wants you to shoulder the blame. What was your moment, and how did you recover? I think for me, uh, learning to give talks, learning to present and speak in public was was a big hurdle. And I can remember early in grad school, you have to start presenting for people, presenting your work in science. I used to feel like I was going to die before before giving <laughs> even a seminar talk. I really felt like it, my life was ending. And I got over that a little bit in grad school. But I remember distinctly um, with Meta, there was one investor presentation that had been set up for me, big boardroom in a city downtown somewhere and filled with investors I would want to work with. It was sort of like an investor day that was that was set up for me or investor breakfast, I think it was, that was set up for me. And I got up, started to present, had a full panic attack and could not get the words out of my mouth. And I had to sit down, quiet boardroom, everyone waiting for me to to recover. And I, I think I I think I said I had the flu or something like that, which I which I in all honesty, I might have at the time, but that wasn't the problem. So everyone sort of gave me my moment, got up there and I, I and I continued. Um and it 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 went fine in the end, but uh, I'll never forget that one. Oh, wow. Well, at least it worked out. Worked out, yeah. Um, I think they invested, absolutely. too. I think somebody invested from that room. So everything uh, everything ended up okay. So listen, thank you, Sam. Listen, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, what I've learned today is that indoor air quality is a serious global uh, health issue and concern, and one that's been exacerbated by COVID-19. So while regulators have been slow to address and implement indoor air quality standards outside of the manufacturing industry, there's no real way to measure and track airborne contaminants in most commercial workplaces. Uh, Poppy Health, to me, is the only solution that accurately tracks, measures, and quantifies indoor air pathogens and contaminants, thereby making these buildings more infection-resistant. Uh, is there anything else you'd say to complete the picture, and how should investors think about Poppy as a company? Yeah, no, I, I think you've captured it. Well, Poppy as a company is is in this really fortunate position that we have we have unique technology, we have a we have a historic need in the market. Ventilation and indoor safety is one of the biggest topics in the news. And we've started to get an adoption in a way that we, we didn't expect as a result of that. So I think, I think it's a great opportunity for investors. And, and we've, been, we've been very lucky to have fantastic institutional and, and angel, angel investors to, to back us so far. So final question, if you could own and run a sports organization, which one would it be and why? You know, I would not be the right one to own and run a sports organization, but I, I would say that um, I went to my first Maple Leafs game with my with my son uh, about a week okay. week and a half ago, and it was it was fantastic. So I'm not a big sports person, but um, watching the Leafs play the Sabers uh, and the entire the entire show at that game it, it was it was great. So. Maybe I've got a future in that at some point. I don't know. Well, maybe if you're not a Leafs person, maybe you're the exact right person to hire, so you can finally bring a Stanley Cup to Toronto. So uh, you got my <laughs> you got my vote. Maybe. <laughs> Thanks, Kenry. All right, man, Sam. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. Congratulations on all of your accomplishments so far. Uh, your accomplishments with Poppy, and we want to wish you continued success and uh, best of luck with your business. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed the podcast, check your app now to make sure that you've subscribed so that you don't miss an episode. I'm Kenrick Sylvester, and I'll see you next time. Problems.
problems and personal issues Stories that I make your eyes tear and wet tissue It's true, I'm mad like the rapper I'm so upset I gotta put it up in my rap Before I snap or after The things I've seen from Atlanta to Queens To the main streets of Brooklyn when I was a teen Back and forth to the islands Screamed when I left But adapted and still my dreams haven't left My only